Well, hello and good morning, everyone. Uh, special hello to those out in the foyer, um, in the overflow where I've just been. Um, it'll be great. Uh, when we are able to split into two and have more space here and at St Paul's uh, to welcome new people as well. Uh, my name's Josh. I'm uh, one of the assistant ministers here and I want to start this morning just with um, a question for you about what do you think it looks like um, when someone is taking God really seriously in their life? What, what sort of lifestyle do you think they have? I'll give you two different extremes. Uh, on the one hand, perhaps it looks like someone a bit like Mother Teresa, okay? Someone uh, humble, always helping other people. Maybe that's what taking God seriously looks like. Now, on the other hand, um, maybe it's something more like Kanye West, right? American rapper, Jesus is King, that's his album. And that's what, that's what he says. He's got a lot, a lot of things going on, but that's what he says, Jesus is King. Do you think that's what taking God seriously in your life looks like? Or what about at a more personal level? What do you reckon it looks like um, for you personally? When do you think you're taking God seriously in your life? When you look back on the week, what are the moments that you say, yeah, that's, that's when I kind of had it going on. That's when I was um, actually following God in a, in a serious kind of way. We're looking um, at this uh, uh, passage this morning out of the Gospel of Mark, uh, where uh, Jesus um, uh, has been speaking uh, with the crowds and he's speaking with the Pharisees here. But as Jesus has arrived on the scene, as we've seen in previous weeks, he said, the kingdom of God is near. I'm bringing the kingdom of God. And so the question is, what does a kingdom of God person look like? What does someone who is actually um, taking Jesus' announcement seriously look like? And we see here that there's some Pharisees and some teachers of the law who've come up from Jerusalem and they see something that they don't think befits someone who's uh, part of God's kingdom. They say in verse 2 there, some, they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. So they ask Jesus, why are your disciples eating without washing their hands? Um, now, uh, my grandma used to have um, a little bell when we went to visit her and she would ring it and we would know that when the bell rang, that was our signal to go and wash our hands before dinner. It's a very efficient method, a little bit demeaning in some ways, but, you know, it worked. And that was mostly about hygiene for her. She wanted us to make sure we were very healthy when we had dinner. It's not so much what's going on here. It's not so much about hygiene. Um, Mark explains, well, it's ceremonial washing in verse 3. Um, even if there was hand sanitizer back then, it wouldn't have really done uh, the trick for what they were trying to get at. These guys wanted to symbolize uh, cleanness and holiness. That is separation from possible corruption of the world. Uh, these were Israelites chosen by God as his special people, uh, set apart from those around them. They were supposed to live a new way. They were supposed to be different. And you see in verse 4, um, the, the question is, when people come from the marketplace, that is somewhere where they could have contact with perhaps some non-Israelites, some Gentiles, perhaps there was some meat on sale that been, had been sacrificed to an idol, perhaps there was, you know, they just kind of touched or rub, rubbed against some Gentiles who had perhaps some uh, questionable moral practices, people who were not pursuing God at all, how could they be clean from that? God had given his people a command uh, to, to clean at a particular time, but that was a command that was only for priests and only when they were going into the, the temple or the tabernacle. 
What um, these uh, people had done was extrapolate, extend that concept for the day-to-day Jew. Uh, it's uh, explained there as the traditions of the elders, something that's built up over time. These aren't God's words exactly, but it's sort of based on God's word and kind of been fleshed out a little bit, almost um, in a sense just to be safe. They're going above and beyond, if you like, taking this idea of clean really seriously. That sounds good, right? On the other hand, you've got Jesus' uneducated, unruly disciples Uh, um, the the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask, why don't your disciples live according to this tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? See, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are presenting uh, an approach to life that says, look, the most important thing is following the rules, is doing it right. That's the most important thing. That's how uh, you can live as part of this kingdom. But look at Jesus' answer. He doesn't mince his words there. In verse 6, he replies, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. There he calls them hypocrites um, straight out to their faces. Um, Hypocrites, a word from like Greek plays where people would wear masks so they could act as someone else uh, than who they really were. Um, if, you, if you watch uh, Masked Singer, I, I, I don't watch The Masked Singer, I think it's ridiculous, but if you do watch that show, the whole point is that the person on the inside is different to the, you know, the mask on the outside. That's, that's the whole point. But here it's much more, more subtle. These religious leaders, they're the ones who look like they're the most holy, most together, most serious about God and his kingdom. I guess the implication they'd want people to draw is that that's who they really are, But Jesus is saying that that's actually not right. Underneath, it's completely different to how they appear. He's calling them mask wearers. And Jesus goes on, he compares them to some of uh, Israel's previous leaders uh, in Isaiah's day. So he quotes Isaiah. He says, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. He's saying these religious leaders, just like the past leaders of Israel that Isaiah was talking to, they're just paying God lip service. Deep down, they actually don't care about him. Jesus is saying, actually, the external is not as important as the internal. It's what's on the inside that counts. See, what God really longs for is for people's hearts to be devoted to him. That's what we as human beings are made for. That's what's good for us. These religious leaders' hearts are far from God. What appears to be pious practice is actually a distraction, a red herring, a dead end. They're not worshipping and glorifying God as they were made to. They're writing their own rules. So Jesus said, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. This whole hand-washing thing, well, it's not actually a command of God anyway. And it's not helping them, it's distracting them. It's perhaps producing in them a pride about their holiness. It's causing them to exclude and look down on others unnecessarily. Perhaps the rules originally were intended to help people uh, to honour God, but they've done the opposite. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. I sometimes go for walks around the streets of Warunga. 
uh, and I sometimes run into people. I often see uh, Andrew out walking uh, his dog, Jed, and the other dog, Billy. Andrew and Liz go for lots of walks. And they have them on these uh, leashes, right? I don't know if you walk dogs, but the point of the leash is to keep the dog connected to you. So you don't have to, I mean, you could walk a dog by holding onto the collar and just like following it like that, right? But that the leash is very handy because you can stand a couple of meters back. You don't have to train the dog to be particularly obedient. You just hold it on the leash. But imagine if uh, you're out walking the dog and all of a sudden the leash breaks in the middle. And then instead of grabbing the dog by the collar, you let the dog run free, you just hold on, you just grip onto the leash. Like, I've got the leash, I've got the leash. And you kind of flap it around and show everyone. Meanwhile, the dog is wreaking havoc um, amongst the flowers, who knows? See, that's like holding on to tradition once it's untethered from God's commands. Once it's not helping you actually do what God says. And Jesus gives them another, I guess, example of something that they do in verses 9 to 13. He says, God's word actually says, honour your father and your mother. God commanded his people to look after their parents. But then there's this other idea that's built up, an idea of Corban, which just means, I guess, an offering. And it had built up that people uh, could make a vow to dedicate a certain amount of money or some certain things to God, which in essence meant to, to uh, the temple. And then they were kind of off limits and couldn't be used for anything else. Now, it's a good thing to devote things to God. It's a good thing to, to give to other people. But this Corbin, this vow idea was not a command of God. And people were using it to justify not helping their folks. Now, whether they deliberately made that vow to cut, cut mum and dad out or not, that vow should not have superseded uh, God's command to honour your father and your mother. Everything's back the, back the front. And so Jesus makes his point with this kind of increasing crescendo of accusations towards them. If you have a look in verse 8, he says, they're letting go of the commands of God. Perhaps it's you know, just an accident. They've just, oh, oh, there, there go the commands, they're, they're gone. But then in verse 9, Jesus said, no, they're setting aside the commands of God. It's not an accident. And in verse 13, Jesus said, they're nullifying or destroying the word of God. So they've turned things completely upside down. There's an appearance of piety, but underneath there's a, a lack of love for parents and a disdain for God himself. Now, let's, let's just pause for a moment there and think, what about us? Where do we perhaps make our own rules? What are we tempted to use as masks to cover up our hearts? I think it's something that both the religious and, and the less religious do. Let's have a look first at perhaps a, 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 a less religious uh, version of a, of a tradition of, uh, of, of rules that have kind of been built up. Perhaps it's this whole idea of uh, living a good life, which perhaps changes in different times and different cultures. But the idea of just living a good life without reference to God himself, the one who wants to be honoured in our hearts, is not going to ultimately please him. However you define that good life, if you act in any way without honouring God in your heart, without even thinking he exists, that is not going to, uh, to please God. I don't know if anyone else um, flicked briefly to the Shane Warne Memorial Service through the week. 
just was channel surfing. I just got there briefly. Um, but it was interesting. I don't know what you make of Shane Warne. And um, I have to say, it was a fairly um, glowing uh, account of his life. There were some parts missing, I thought. But the accounts that people gave of Shane Warne were intriguing. It was not just about trick cricket. It was about his, his charity work with sick children. It was about being a, um, a great mate. It was about his environmental work. All great things. And I guess the, the picture that was presented of Shane Warne was here is a, someone who's lived a really good life. He's, he's done a good job. And some of those things are great things, but none of them in themselves are pleasing to God when our heart is far from him. Whether the mask looks good or whether it doesn't look good, the important thing is what's underneath. What about perhaps more, uh, perhaps religious kind of, uh, kind of rules we might make? What about going to church? A gathering with God's people is definitely a good thing. Um, he commands us to do that. But there are ways, I think, of going to church that turn it into a tradition. For instance, if you come to church purely for the social element and daydream through the service, then, well, it might look pious, but it's, it's really lip service. If you come just because, or just because, because you come, that's what you do. If it's just the thing that you keep doing week after week, it might appear like commitment to God, but perhaps it's actually commitment to a routine, to habit. It might look good from the outside, but it's the heart that matters. Or here's another one that I was thinking about during the week. Even something like reading the Bible each day, meditating on God's word is, is good. Uh, that's what God tells us to do. But I wonder if there's a way it can sometimes become lip service, a bit of a mask. Sometimes I find myself in my daily reading uh, more keen to kind of tick off, oh, I've done it, I've got through what I plan to read today, rather than truly engaging with God and what he's saying. And yet even if I do just tick it off, I guess I feel a bit of a sense of pride throughout the day, oh, I've done my Bible reading for today. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. I once met a, a non-Christian Bible scholar who would read the Bible, he was an Old Testament expert, but had no relationship with the God of the universe. Just reading the Bible is not really the point. Whether our masks look good or not, the important thing is what's underneath. And so, as we look at the challenge that Jesus gives us, as if this part hasn't been challenging enough, we find that uh, not only is the important thing what's underneath, but actually that what's underneath is not good, whoever we are. In verses uh, 14 to 23, Jesus turns from just talking to the religious leaders and calls the whole crowd together. And he goes on a bit of a deep dive into the issue that was originally raised, this idea of cleanliness. It was an idea related to, to holiness and was a good thing. It was supposed to set God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, apart from the surrounding peoples. God said to his people in Leviticus 11, be holy for I am holy. And so his people were supposed to mirror his character. So there were laws about hand washing for priests, but also for various other things that could make you unclean, like touching a corpse or eating particular foods which were designated unclean. And some of the laws had clear, I guess, hygiene benefits to them, but others seemed fairly arbitrary 
because the point of them wasn't actually to make people physically clean in themselves. The laws were supposed to point to something. The ceremonial holiness was supposed to point to moral holiness in people's lives and the holiness of God himself. This clean and unclean idea is like a signpost pointing towards a destination. I love when I get the chance to go back down to Wollongong and hang out with my parents down there and go to the beach. It's good stuff. Um, And when we drive down to Wollongong, you're always looking at the signs that say, you know, Wollongong, 100 kilometres, Wollongong, 50 kilometres. You're getting closer and closer. That's great. It would be foolish for me to stop at one of those signs and pretend like I'm in Wollongong. I'd be in the bush. There'd be no beach there and no parents. See, this clean and unclean thing was supposed to direct people to see how important uh, the way that they lived their whole lives was in reflection of God's holiness, having hearts devoted to him. But instead, they'd stop to look at the signposts. They'd become more concerned about the exterior observance rather than what they were supposed to point to. And so Jesus calls the crowd together and he says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Jesus talks fairly cryptically to the crowd, as has been his pattern. The disciples ask him, you know, what are you talking about? Jesus says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of their body. It's actually um, a little more graphic what Jesus says there in the original. I actually got to learn the Greek word for toilet this week, but I'm not going to say it. Um, The point is, though, food can't change your heart. Of course it can't. The actions on the outside can't change the inside. But here's the punchline. This is where we really come to the challenge that what comes from the the heart, from our hearts, is in itself the problem. Because Jesus goes on, he says, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And he goes on, he starts his list with the very general evil thoughts that basically sums it up. And he goes on to list actions, but also desires, sexual immorality, theft, murder, that all starts in the heart. But so does greed, deceit, envy, that all starts in the heart as well. Now, I am sure that you look cleaner on the outside than what you actually are. I certainly do. Some of us have probably done some of these actions. Undoubtedly, all of us have had some of these attitudes, these desires, probably all of them. This applies to everyone, from Pharisee to disciple, from from priest to criminal, everyone in between. And so it turns out that one of the main functions of this whole clean and unclean system was to actually show that there is a bigger and deeper problem, that the heart is where things have gone wrong. And these signposts of clean and unclean, well, it wasn't just that people were kind of getting confused and stopping at the sign instead of continuing to the destination. It's actually that getting to the destination is unattainable. It's as if these signs are pointing in the right direction, but I'm coming to go to Wollongong and I'm at the sign that says 30 kilometres to Wollongong, and then I look and there's a big gorge that's opened up. I can kind of see some of, the, some of the town in the distance, but there's a huge chasm that I can't get past and I can't get around. 
And so this is where we see that Jesus is not just another kind of teacher. He's doing more than, more than just um, explaining to people where they've gone wrong. He's actually bringing the kingdom with him. He is God in the flesh. He hasn't just come to point everyone back and say, hey, just make sure we make the signs the sign and keep on working, going towards the destination. No, no, he's come as the destination and as the vehicle to get there, if you like. Jesus is the one who is clean and he's the one who makes clean. He doesn't yet explain it explicitly, but he's, he's been showing it in his actions because he's been driving out unclean spirits. He's been healing unclean people. You might remember the, the bleeding woman from a couple of weeks ago. He's been having dinner with unclean people, with sinners. He's been making them his disciples. Jesus doesn't go into these places and somehow become unclean himself. He, he, he brings the clean with him. And so uh, you might have uh, noticed that the Pharisees, they'd been concerned that the disciples might have become unclean at the marketplace. If you go back into the end of chapter 6, right before where Neil read from, uh, Jesus was healing sick people just by touch in the marketplace. So these are all indicators that Jesus had come to deal with uh, the heart problem once and for all. He has uh, become human himself, surrounded by uncleanness, and he's going to allow himself to be killed by Gentiles, unholy, unclean. He's going to allow himself to be hung on a tree, a sign of being cursed by God. And yet he's going to burst from the grave. Jesus is the one who is clean and he's the one who makes clean. If you trust in Jesus, he makes your heart clean. Whatever evil has come out of it. He's like uh, a cable car across that gorge I was talking about. He makes it possible to dwell with God. There's no other way. Nothing external can change it. So let's return uh, to where we began. What does someone who's taking God seriously, what does a kingdom person look like? Or someone who's committed to his son, Jesus, and committed to following him. It doesn't matter if you look more like Mother Teresa or more like Kanye West or you live in a monastery or you don't. The main thing is follow Jesus. He's the one who is clean and makes clean. That's the first thing to get right. But even as we're following Jesus, the warnings of this passage are still really relevant to us because though we're clean before God, we're, we're yet to be completely renewed. So we need to remember it's what's on the inside that counts. Of course, we still have to make decisions about lots of external things. That's life, our attitude as we come to church, how we do our Bible reading, how we do good in the world. What things are we uh, perhaps ticking off without giving attention to God himself? I wonder if the time when you think in your week that God is most pleased with you, maybe that's actually the time that you're most pleased with yourself. What are we wearing as, as masks to put on a face uh, that perhaps appears better than what we are to others? We don't have to pretend that we are better than we are because each of us is forgiven. Though we have evil coming out of our hearts, those who trust in Jesus are washed clean. These are challenging questions for us uh, and though Jesus brings challenge, 
he also brings relief. He brings grace. He is the one that is clean and he cleans us. So trust him. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you so much for his uh, clear teaching, for his challenge to us. We admit to you that um, in the, the mirror of your word, uh, we can see ourselves more truly. And it is true that from our hearts come all kinds of evil thoughts. We thank you that you make us clean through Jesus. Help us to set our hearts towards you, to hold on to your commands, to be more interested in how we relate to you than what we look like on the outside. Amen.